Welcome to the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. I am at the Banff World Media Conference 2018, and I'm sitting across from Emily Andras. Hi, I am Emily Andras, and I am in Banff, and very happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for spending some time with me. What is it that you do? I am a showrunner, which is a very fancy uh, word for the chief writer, the lead writer on a television series. I also am the creator of that TV show, and I also make all sorts of production decisions like who should we cast and what sweater should we put the actor in? So it's basically just the person who has the vision for the TV show and has to make the tough decisions and fun decisions. So your series is called Winona Earp. The series is based on a comic book series, an indie comic book series. So I'd love you to talk about creating your own TV show based on a property? Great question. Um, so the truth that is kind of fun is as a writer when you're adapting someone else, else's work. As we know, writers are the monsters of the literary world. Just kidding, they're wonderful. But there's something really tough about taking someone else's work in one medium, the comic book, where the budget is limited, you can have any locations you want, um, and taking it into an indie Canadian television show and sort of saying, well, we have to be on one location and have actors and what have you. Um, I was on a show called Lost Girl, which was a genre show about a woman who was a succubus. She literally got her power from sex. And it was a very fun kind of feminist show, but also very cheeky and camp. So IDW, who had this comic book called Winona Earp by the delightful uh, gentleman named Bo Smith, brought it to me and said, what would you do with this? The comic was kind of a cult hit in the 90s, and even Bo will tell you it was a very different property. It's like all TNA. She's basically wearing Band-Aids over her boobs while she fights mummies. It's kind of crazy. I was like, this isn't totally on brand, but what I love is the idea of this woman who's a descendant of Wyatt Earp, the greatest gunslinger of all time, who's basically just fighting monsters. Um, But we had to ground it. So I was like, how can we make this a series we really care about? So I have a little girl, and we were watching a lot of Frozen at the time, which is basically the love story of two sisters. So I was like, the thing about Westerns, when you think about them traditionally, is they're very patriarchal. They're male. They're like guys going in on horseback, tackling people, whatever, taking what they want. And that's all great, saving the day. So I just thought it would be fun, because you're talking about Winona Earp, which is kind of like a flip on Wyatt Earp gender-wise, I just thought it would be fun to do a Western where we take all the traditionally male characters and make them either female or LGBTQ or diverse. Um, But then, of course, you add the Tarantino-esque, like, gore and demons and dark humor. I really want it to be fun. It was going to be 10 p.m. cable, so, like, I wanted you to laugh when someone got dispatched in a disgusting way. And, of course, we wanted heart. So it was really about these sisters and this dysfunctional family who in no way should be fighting demons having no choice. The development process was incredible because I kind of had nothing to lose. I pitched this crazy take on the comic and they were basically like, wow, that's nuts. If you can pull it off, we love it. Um, And I have to say one thing that's been really fun is on the TV show, we created new characters and now Bo Smith, who we love, has taken those characters from the TV show and relaunched the comic book. So it's kind of this lovely symbiotic relationship that's very like mutually beneficial and also we have a lot of respect for each other. We each kind of write our own stories. It's the same universe, same characters, but we don't feel bound to one another in any way. So as far as adaption, it's been the most A-plus experience. I feel really spoiled. Wow. Well, thank you for outlining all that for me. I appreciate it. You touched on a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. One of them was, I wanted to talk about the TV trope, Bury Your Gaze, Mm -hmm. and then I wanted to talk about Unkillable Queers. So for people who don't know, what is that TV trope? So Bury Your Gaze is basically a trope that has existed time immemorial on television, which is gays die at a rate that is so hugely disproportionate to their representation on television. Um, The other thing about the barrier gays trope is there's 
a very clear trope, which is as soon as someone who identifies as gay or lesbian or queer or trans finds some sort of like happiness within their sexuality, they're often killed off. There's an element of tragedy there. So Winona Earp, can I talk about this, debuted at a very interesting time in television. I am very familiar with the Bury Your Gays trope for a lot of personal reasons and also just because I was on a show called Lost Girl, which actually had a bisexual lead, which was very unusual. Winona Earp just happened to debut in 2016. It was all shot and in the can. And there was a couple months in 2016, I believe it was in early winter, when something like 32 lesbians on TV died violently. It was absolutely insane. Um, some of the most famous ones were People on the Walking Dead, and of course one that kind of launched a thousand um, think pieces, and I will say positively has really changed the way we operate in writing rooms, was Clexa. Um, so that is Clark and Lexa on a show called The 100. And like literally what happened is they were a favorite couple. It's, you know, it's an apocalyptic teen drama. They're both kind of warriors but literally what happened is they finally consummated their relationship they are still naked in bed and someone comes in and shoots one of them one of them takes a bullet for the other one they were both warriors neither one of them fought back um so i hadn't watched the 100 but i was sort of watching this unfold and it was covered by a woman named mo ryan who writes for variety she kind of kind of took it to the forefront so there was a huge upcry in the lgbtq Q community that these violent deaths against um, gay characters was just not going to be tolerated anymore. And I have to say, you really saw a lot of damage done in particular with LGBTQ youth. You know, if you're putting lesbians on television, for example, and then you're killing them off and you're 14 years old and you live in the middle of Mississippi and all you see is yourself die over and over and over again, and it feels like they're being killed because of who they want to love or how they identify, um, that can do lasting damage. So really, people are shouting about this from the rooftops, as they should be. Fans are not willing to take scraps anymore, and they're just not willing to have their very limited representation end in tragedy on television anymore. So Winona, as I said, getting to the point, had filmed. We have a very um, strong LGBT couple that's very loved. Um, The sister of Winona is named Waverly Earp, and she's sort of an adorable small-town, you know, ex-cheerleader. And then um, the town sheriff, whose name is Nicole Hott. And they kind of fell in love in the first season, and in the finale... Nicole Hot is actually shot, and then we go to commercial break, and we come back, and it's revealed that Nicole is wearing a bulletproof vest. So it was really kind of a deliberate F you to the barrier gaze trope. For myself, I was very familiar with the trope, but it also just happened to air in that year when people were terrified about what was happening to gay characters on television. We did something very unusual, which is because people had been so traumatized, they were unwilling to invest in gay relationships on television. We basically announced that our gay characters are the unkillable gay squad that they made it to the end of the season. I gave my word, even though it was a spoiler, that nobody was going to die in first season who was gay. I think that made a huge difference with our fan base and bought a lot of trust. Um, And now there's a ton of responsibility that comes with that. But I do think lots of writers are now aware of that trope, and it is changing the way we do representation on television. Unkillable gays is kind of um, the opposite idea. It's the idea that now... Is there a struggle with storytelling a little bit that are gay characters immune, you know? Um, And, you know, I'm going to be completely honest. um, That's not good for storytelling. I mean, it also doesn't do LGBTQ characters any favors. I want complicated LGBTQ characters. I want villains. I want bitches. I want heroes. And I want, you know, um, Machiavellian idiots. So... You know, hopefully, as we kind of do better by representation, we will be able to write all sorts of LGBTQ characters, not necessarily ones who are immune to any kind of danger. Um, But the problem is we're just not there yet. We just have to do better rap. And I'm completely fine playing in that playground until we do better. Um, Yes, I, I would prefer definitely not to kill off my LGBTQ characters. So 
There you go. Thank you very much for explaining that. So let's open it up then, because you are writing a show where your characters fight demons every episode. You've shot season three. It hasn't aired yet. So you have to up the stakes somehow. You have not only women, you have people of color, LGBTQT+. You've got all those characters, but you have to raise the stakes somehow. So I'd love you to talk about how you make those decisions. I make those decisions based on character and what's best for the show and story. And like, yes, I feel like I'm at the stage in the show where... Not everyone can be immune to danger. The stakes just constantly have to get higher. Casts need to rotate. Um, We need to feel the stakes. If we love these characters and the stakes are life and death, we need to see the death. Um, My one rule for myself is I just want to do right by the character. If someone is a hero, I want them to go out in a hero's fashion. If someone is a villain, they can really eat it. Do you know what I mean? On the way out. you're not going to please everybody all the time. And I still have to write a sci-fi show that people love. You know, I say this as well. As much as people love a certain couple, I would love think they would like to watch a show where they're watching them sitting on the couch just eating bonbons all day. That's not actually good television. It is a drama. It is a crazy sci-fi series. So there's definitely decisions that have been made and will be made that people don't like. But hopefully you just feel like the emotions you encounter were earned. And that's all I can do. And like people are going to be mad and people are very vocal on social media now. But my job as a showrunner is just to take the brunt of it. Take the glory and the despair and that's okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about writing. In season, in the middle of season two or at the beginning of season two, your lead actor came to you and told you that she was pregnant. So you had to scrap those plans and then come up with a solution to that. So yes. I'd love you to tell me about that difficult time. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, Winona Earp is nothing if not untraditional. It's completely nuts. Um, I have all the time in the world for my lead named Melanie Scrifano. She's incredible. Um, We were feeling pretty happy in second season. We were just so thrilled. We were still going. We had written about six scripts. And then she came to me and said, here's the thing. I love you. I'm pregnant. And I'm not a little bit pregnant. I am due the week after we finish filming. I'm a problem solver. I could see how upset Mel was this. The last thing she would want to do is harm the show. I'm also a huge feminist. I've had two babies in this business. I know what it's like. And I thought, this is going to be about us putting our money where our mouth is. But, like, she is a near-alcoholic, you know, gunslinger. How are we going to do this? It's not very on brand to have her pregnant. The main character, that is. The main character. Yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, not Melanie. No, she doesn't even drink. Um, So I feel like we didn't have a choice, and in a way, there's freedom in that. I went to the network, Sci-Fi in particular, and said, it was a group full of dudes, and I said, are you guys sitting down? Do you want to sit on the floor? Here's the thing. Melanie is pregnant. And here's the other thing. I've done the math. This is not a sitcom. I can't have her holding increasingly large loads of laundry in a laundry basket while she goes up and down the stairs. She has to kick some butt. Um, And she needs to do it pregnant. You've all seen Fargo with Marge Gunderson, played by Frances McDormand. That's what I want to do. I want to do a pregnant superhero. Sci-fi, to their immense credit, and my eternal loyalty, loved it. They were like, absolutely. We're so glad Mel's okay. That's what we want to do. Winona Earp has never played by the rules. We don't want the show to be about the pregnancy, but yes, we want to see what happens here. Um, so that's what we did. I have to tell you from a writing perspective, losing like eight weeks of writing is the equivalent of like two years. Like it's so fraught to have to throw out eight scripts and still have to go to camera on a certain timeline, a timeline that was now tighter because our lead was literally going to give birth. Also, we didn't know what if something had happened. We had to protect her. We had to make sure she was safe. We were filming in Calgary in the middle of February. It's like minus 40. She's like kicking things. Um, 
Everybody on crew rallied. It was one of the most positive experiences of my life. I was incredibly happy with that storyline. And one thing I was really happy about was in this day and age of spoilers, it literally didn't get spoiled once, even though she was seven months pregnant when we started filming. So in episode six, you find out that Winona is pregnant and it blew up the internet. People were so incredibly amazed. It helps that it's so cold that she was wearing like scarves and parkas the whole time. And Melanie Scrofano gave birth four days after she finished her last scene on set. Bit of a show-off, actually. Bit of a show-off. She was in ADR and was like, oh, I'm having a baby. Um, So it turned out to be a very positive experience. We honestly had no choice but to move forward as if it was going to be a positive experience. And I feel like it actually gave weight to the show without losing any of the kick-assitude or funniness or sexiness. Um, I was really proud of the way we did it. And at the end of second season, um, you know, this alcoholic superhero gives up her baby for a better life. And I think that's a story that doesn't get told much either. I think a lot of women get pregnant and don't want to be pregnant. Um, So I was very happy about the way it played out. But uh, let me tell you, there's significantly less pregnancy in season three. Um, Although in a way, that's hard to top. Um, But looking back, it was nothing but, it did nothing but help our show in a weird way. And honestly, also, can I say, bless the fans for going with it. They did. Season three is about to start airing in about a month. You, I've read that you bring in Winona Earp's long-lost missing mom, yeah. and she's played by the actor Megan Follows, who is yeah. kind of a Canadian icon. Kind of. She makes Celine look like garbage. No, just kidding. She is amazing. Megan, obviously, I grew up with Anna Green Gables. I think I watched that VHS tape 72 times until I couldn't play it anymore. Um, she has recently been Queen Catherine on Rain, so she was kind of used to corsets and, like, very formal speak. Um, but what... An opportunity. I was so thrilled when we were able to cast her as Mom Earp. She really looks like the two sisters, too, which is incredible. But she'd never really kind of done this role. Um, without giving too much away, I mean, the only story we've ever heard about Mom is that she abandoned three daughters to their alcoholic father. And, like, there's a lot of, like, judgment that comes with that kind of character. At the other hand, there must be something badass and intriguing and complicated about the type of woman who has raised these daughters to be such fierce warriors. She is just such a delight, and she brings such an interesting energy to the show this year. She really shakes everything up. And there was definitely a moment where I felt like making Anna Green Gables say the F word uh, feels like you've really arrived. Um, She was delicious, and I think the fans are absolutely going to love her or love to hate her. Just wait and see. So we'll all be tuning in to see season three and Megan Follows. Can you tell us one pitch in the writer's room that had to do with Anna Green Gables and demons that you would not go with and didn't go with? Uh, resurrect, uh, no, let me think. Resurrect Matthew from the dead, and then uh, Anna Green Gables has to put him back down again. Not a huge seller. Not a huge seller. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Thank you very much for spending some time with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is Scott Wood in the studio. I'll leave you with the full version of the Winona Earp theme song. That song is called Tell That Devil by Jill Andrews. Thanks for listening.
Emily. I am the showrunner of a show called Wine on Herb. I'm totally going to, you have to say it again. I'm totally, what is, what is the show again? Yeah. And you're listening to the interview show with Scott Wood. Okay. Hi, my name is Emily Andrus. I'm the showrunner of a show called Wine on Herb, and you're listening to the interview show with Scott Wood. <laughs> 